Okay, at this time we are blessed to have our second message for today, uh, brought to us by our elder Barnabas Grayson, for the message entitled, What Manner of Person Ought We to Be? sermon this afternoon, I'd like to begin with a question that's familiar to most, if not all of us, and that is, what manner of persons ought we to be? And this is found, as you know, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 11. And you can read the context of, where, of that, how that question is presented. We know that we live in trying times, times that test our resolve to do what is right and to do what is good as a Christian because we face contentions of all sorts in our life. These are times that are filled with confusion where the truth can be lost in the shuffle of words and ideologies that can blind one side in the search for the objective of truth. And we live in times in which there is, and there's no doubt about it, that there is hatred and violence, whether it's political, religious, or racial. As you may know, like Steve mentioned, four people were killed in a Pittsburgh uh, synagogue early this morning, the Sabbath morning. Possibly as many as eight are dead, but three officers were shot and there were multiple injuries. So these are the things uh, that we face each day that we read about, that we hear on television and so on. And you know, this past week, you know, there were pipe bombs delivered to a certain political group. But who knows what's next? So what manner of person ought we to be? So it is incumbent upon every Christian to do as the book of Hebrews says. Over in Hebrews 10.23 it says, To let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. To have no doubt but to know for sure that our faith is true. For he is faithful that promised. Verse 24 of Hebrews 10, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We also know that in Matthew chapter 4, chapter 5 that is, in verse 42 through 44, Jesus said, <clears throat> you know, we know the saying that if your enemy thirst or hunger is to give him uh, what they need, to give him drink or to give him food. So he said in verse 42, Give to him that ask you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not, turn not you away. You've heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor as, uh, and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. So what manner of person is able to do these things? Because it goes against our fleshly human nature. Verse 25 again in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. First Peter 
chapter 1 and in verse uh, 15 it says, And as he who is holy, which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. That is all manner of behavior. Now what manner of person was Jesus? We can look through the pages of, of uh, the Old Testament that point to Christ's coming as counselor, as God. And we see in the New Testament where he is our best friend who laid down his life for us. And who also wants us to know ahead of time just what to expect in this world that we live in. And sometimes we might ask ourselves, well, how close are we to the end? And what one sign, if you think about it, what one sign could we point to as a definite indicator that we are close to the end of the age or as one of the signs of the time? But one thing for sure is that we are closer today than we were yesterday and will be closer even tomorrow. Matthew 24, we see where Jesus gave his disciples certain signs to look for. I'm not going to go into all the stuff that is uh, spoken there. And these things, he said, are going to precede the end of the age. And he inspired his disciples to, to what manner of person they ought to be in as far as being watchful and prayerful as they see these things happening. Now you remember that Jesus was there at the temple and he was going out and departing from the, the temple when the disciples had called, called his attention to his buildings. Matthew 24 and verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said, see you not all these things? Truly I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He said, yeah, you may look at all these buildings, but I will tell you this. Not a single stone here will be left in its place. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, the disciples must have thought that Jesus had come, you know, to uh, restore the kingdom at that time. And from here, he would rule. And they with him. The temple, of course, was a beautiful site. It was a center of worship for around 400 years. But it had been plundered and restored at various times. Construction, we know, had started under King Solomon, who carried out, you know, his father's plan, David's plan, to build a temple for God. So here was the temple of Herod, the third temple. Its foundations, however, had been removed because Herod won, wanted to restore the temple to its beauty, to its former glory. So around 20 B.C., work began. And one of the architectural features of this temple was that of huge white stones that were 25 by 8 by 12 cubits in size. So the cubit is about the length of, of a forearm. And uh, so it's uh, around 12 feet by 4 feet by 6 feet. But they were massive stones. And it was situated, too, on a paved court, 200 yards on, on, uh, on all its sides. So it was a very impressive sight. Now, in John chapter 2, and we sometimes think about, uh, you know, the time from we leave the Feast of the tab uh, Tabernacles and the last great day, and there's this big gap that we have until the Passover. 
and it's like the feast this year, it came so quick, it seems like. And before too long, after these months of winter are over, we'll be uh, going into the springtime, and it is something to look forward to. But in the meantime, there is this vacant uh, space that we have. And it if it weren't for the Sabbath day and, so, and some other uh, fellowship activities that we have, uh, you know, a person could become discouraged. But it was an impressive sight in John chapter 2. It says that the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those that had sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting in there. He saw that it had turned to a marketplace. And when he had made a scourge of these small courts, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the changers' money and he overthrew the tables. So we can see what manner of person Christ was when he did this thing. And he, he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things out of here. Take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples at that time, they remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And they referred to Psalm 69, 9, where they remembered a scripture where David had said, My devotion to your house, O God, burns in me like a fire. And so we see here the first public display of Christ using his authority, using his power, using his person, his manner in driving from the temple the traders whom these covetous priests and rulers encouraged to make a marketplace of his courts. Matthew Henry uh, comments on that, that this was Christ's first public work making a, uh, making a God's house a house of merchandise whose minds were filled with uh, cares about worldly business when attending religious exercises or who performed divine offices for love of gain. Verse 18, uh, then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign show you? What, what sign can you give us seeing that you do these things? What, by what authority are you doing these things? By whose authority do you do this? Who gave you the right to come in here and throw everything over? And Jesus answered, and he said this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 46 years was this temple in building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So we see that in all of this, there was a remembrance on the part of the disciples to go back to those scriptures that they had read before and see how these things were coming to pass. Now let's change the scenery just a little bit. Matthew 24, verse 3. This is where he was uh, sitting upon the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately saying, verse 3, Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your return and the end of the age or the end of the world as it stated. Now there are three things here that stand out as questions that are to be answered. He, and he, for, because he tells his disciples what to watch for. And he says, 
uh, when shall these things be? That's the one question that his disciples asked. And they asked, well, what shall be the sign of your coming? The sign of the coming of Jesus Christ. And third, what shall be the sign of the end of the age? So, <clears throat> is our world today concerned with these prophecies of, of the things that are going to uh, transpire? Maybe next week, maybe next year, but surely in the future. Are we still interested in what Jesus uh, said and what lays ahead? It seems to be sometimes one of those areas where one might think, well, que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be the future's not ours to see. After all, <clears throat> the immediate concern that most have may be about jobs, it may be about education, politics, health, family, and just building toward the future the best they can without worrying what may happen. And when you go to the scriptures and you read about these things that are going to transpire, it can put a little bit of uh, de uh, depressing uh, things upon you. But Jesus said, in all this, he said that we are to watch and to pray. Watch therefore, he said in verse 42, for you don't know what hour your Lord will come. Of course, we look at this as, you know, the, the tribulation when uh, all of those things are, are going to come to pass. Or we can look at it as, well, you know, the temporary uh, time that we have as we age. But one of the most telling signs of the end of the age can be seen in the words of Jesus when he said in verse 12, because iniquity, that is lawlessness or wickedness, shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. You know, love uh, being uh, the Greek agape, which means benevolence or charity, is going to grow cold. So this refers to a time when people are not governed by law or obedient to law that being the law of God is you know found in the Ten Commandments which are righteousness the law of love toward God and and toward neighbor instead many are governed by their own fleshly desires their lust their wickedness and selfish and rebellious aims so when righteousness righteousness is set aside that attitude that way of life can spread like you know a forest fire and it can affect others into more acts of lawlessness of hate and violence and the love of many shall turn cold it's bound to wax cold it's like a candle that melts or like a lamp that uh, runs out of oil or like when the elect electricity goes off there is no light and there's darkness so love <coughs> turns cold it goes out so it's easy to see that in our age today, in our time today, it is filled with inhumanity the world over, violence the world over, hatred, lies, self-deception, mockery, and other terms of uh, disparagement or scorn for others. In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, another familiar, uh, uh, familiar verses to you, this is about people living in the last days that will be facing these dangerous times, these perils. But I'm not going to read from uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, King James Version. I'd like to read uh, this section from verses 1 through 5 from the Good News. Here's what the Apostle Paul was telling 
young Timothy about those times that were going to come. And he said, verse 1, remember that there will be difficult times in the last days. There will be difficult times in the last days. Verse 2, people, Paul is telling Timothy, people will be selfish, they'll be greedy, boastful, and conceited. They will be insulting, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and irreligious. They will be unkind, merciless, slanderers, violent, and fierce. They will hate the good. They will be treacherous, reckless, and swollen with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. Verse 5, they will hold to the outward form of religion, but reject its real power. Keep away from such people. So we know that these words are always before us, and we are reminded of them often as we come to church or read them in, in our studies. And it may be that some, you know, are just are tired of hearing them. But we are to recall them, because every word that we come across in the Word of God is bound to remind us Maybe we won't be looking for a particular, uh, we might happen upon the verse, not really looking for it, but it, it gives us an awakening. For when bad things happen, we remember these words that were spoken by the prophets and by the apostles. Second Peter chapter 3, after writing his first letter, the apostle Peter wanted to remind his dear brethren of the coming of the Lord. He said in verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So you remember the words that were spoken long ago by the prophets like, you know, Daniel, Jeremiah and uh, Amos and so on. And also Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. In verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. So he says, first of all, understand that in the last days there's going to be people who will scoff and make fun of you. Verse 4 and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And for this they willingly are ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So they will purposely ignore the fact that by God's word, that is by his command, created the heavens and the earth he formed out of water, he also commanded that by water, the old world was destroyed in a flood. So we see how powerful the word of God can be and how his, his will is fulfilled. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water flooded, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved, unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So right now our present time is held in store for that time that is to come and we have to be awake, we have to be alert. So as sure as God created the heavens and the earth by his power, by his command, 
And as sure as he created a flood to destroy rebellious man, except Noah and his family, of a certainty there is a fiery judgment that is reserved for the godless to be judged and destroyed. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So to him, there's no difference between one day and a thousand years. To him, they are all the same. And he keeps, what some say, he keeps time by a different clock. In verse 9, this we know, verse 9, and we can be grateful for this, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He's not slow to do as he promised, but he is long-suffering toward us. He's patient toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see that all the violence, all the hatred, all the things that are happening on earth, people who are sinning, that God is holding out and waiting to see if some of them will repent. The Lord is patient toward all, not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but to turn from sin and lawlessness while there's still time. So we know that the eternal, the eternal God has set up a certain amount of time for man to govern himself and to experience life with or without him and see what happens. But as it was in the days of Noah that we read when God gave mankind time to change and they didn't, but violence filled the earth. And in Genesis 6.3, the Lord said uh, that they ignored him and they, uh, he said they were desperately wicked because violence filled the earth. The evil, uh, evil was always in their heart. And they weren't listening. They weren't watching. They were letting their human nature rule them and not following God's law. And so, as you know, Noah was building that boat, they, they must have seen it and, and maybe come around, maybe even had a hand in helping him build the ark. And they would say to him, well, Noah, I see you're building a, a boat. What's it for? And, you know, they, they soon found out. And God brought upon them a great flood. For God had said, he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Because we know that there, there is a, a law in our human nature that just wants, it just can't uh, always be and do the right thing. They were, in verse 38, this is Matthew 24, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So they were pleasure-oriented gratifying self, going on with the routines of life, but not heeding the impending judgment. And verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So we can look at <clears throat> the sign of the times and think, well, it's always been that way. It's just that we have maybe instant breaking news that we know more about what's happening as soon as it happens. But what we see today cannot be really at all pleasing to God. So we're told to be on guard and to be ready at all times as, as we shall see. But knowing that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat 
the earth also and the words that are therein shall be burned up. This for sure is speaking of that ultimate time when fiery judgment will come. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What kind of people should we be? Well, we know that our lives have to be set apart as holy, has to be dedicated to God in order that we may have patience ourselves in, in our wait for that day that he has promised. Because he has promised that there will come a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. So right now we do what we do to make a living in this age, but knowing that everything can suddenly change. So we are to look beyond the present and troublesome times that this world and our society faces today and that we as individuals even have our own personal problems in life today. For, but yet in all of that we're told that we must wait patiently and in faith for, uh, for Christ to return and bring peace, righteous judgment, salvation, and healing to this world. I will say that the Democrats are not going to do it. The Republicans are not going to do it. No president or man is going to do it. The strong arm of man, it says, will not save us. So we look to Christ, to Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. Isaiah says, Ah, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. So we wonder, well, how angry will God get before he decides to make changes? What manner of persons ought we to be in regard to those things? And in verse 5, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. So why keep on rebelling, he's saying. Why be punished anymore? Then in Hosea chapter 4, we read this. We've heard this in previous sermons. Verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. That you shall be no priest to me, seeing you have forgotten the law of God. I will also forget your children. Something to think about there. <clears throat> so the cause of man's problems is lack of knowledge, and that is godly knowledge. We have all kinds of scientific information, just, uh, just about everything that we need to know, but it seems that there's a famine of the word of God, godly knowledge. There was spiritual infidelity back then, a lack of religion and faith of knowledge and obedience to his law of love as outlined in the Ten Commandments. So the problems we see will be fixed in due time at the return of Jesus Christ. But we are called upon to be Christians more than anything else and be ready and watching and praying for Christ's return for thy kingdom come. <clears throat> so this world we know is just a physical place. It is temporary. And the temple that was no longer stands. Its stones have been thrown down. And, you know, there are designs, there are plans to try to rebuild that temple. 
But here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. And he's building, a and Christ is building a temple in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let's back up to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, he says, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So we are a temple under construction. We have the Holy Spirit adding daily, little by little, uh, the things that uh, are going to make for uh, um, the manner of person that we ought to be in all godliness. Verse 8, we are to be careful toward what we put into our hearts and mind, and not be influenced by some of the wayward things that that uh, are, that surround us. Verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on those things. Over in Luke twelve, chapter twelve. Uh, Jesus said, verse 32, he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he said, verse 33, Sell that you have and give alms. And sell your belongings, he said. Give the money to the poor. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. But imagine hearing this when it was spoken. How would we react to doing this? Would it make us afraid, make us fear? What are we going to do if we give everything that we have to the poor? But would we be ready? Would we be willing to sell belongings? Something to think about, something that wisdom is going to have to prevail in order to know everything about what this scripture is telling us. But after all, Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All that in return for just making some sacrifices that we are not used to making at times. So what is this all about? It's just about making the kingdom of heaven first in all that we do. It's about having an attitude of charity, not selfishness or love of self only, but showing love to those who are in need, using wisdom in that way. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
So your heart is always going to be where your treasure is. If they are in heaven, that's a good thing. But if it's in earthly things, we know it's going to amount to nothing because it's only temporary. So whatever one's goals or aims in life may be, it can draw an inordinate amount of time away from uh, salvation, and it may be neglected. Verse 35, let your loins be girded about, and your lights, uh, that is your lamps, be burning. In other words, be ready and alert. Be dressed for action, and have your lamps lit. Verse 36, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him right away or immediately. So a servant is always ready for his master's return. If he's gone away somewhere, he's he's uh, will be waiting for his return. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, he shall find watching. Truly I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Nighttime was divided into three watches. The last two would be those that would be uh, where it would be the late hours of the night and when it would be hard to stay awake and alert. But, know, but this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. So as we th see events that are transpiring in this world, then, you know, it, it's time to watch. It's time to uh, take precaution. The good man would be on watch guarding his treasure. Years ago, I remember when the Berlin Wall came down and, and it suddenly it was like, uh, hey, things are going to be transpiring pretty quick. Germany's going to arise. The, the, uh, the, uh, the Union, European Union, is going to uh, come to uh, full fruition. And so it, it does spur you on. But we always have to be ready. And if, if that really happened, I, at least for me, I don't know if I would have been ready or not. I know things like that are bound to come. When 9-11 happened, we, we know that uh, it really changed a lot of people, and they started going back to church. Some weren't ready. I, they say, I, I need to go back to church because who knows what's going to happen. But we can't put it off too long. The good man would be on watch guarding his, tre his treasure. Verse 40, be ye therefore ready that if the... Uh, be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. If one does not know, and as Peter said, said unto him, he said, Lord, are you speaking to this parable unto us or even to all? And as we know that uh, he's speaking to all. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? to give their, their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that, is that ser, uh, servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Let's go over to Mark chapter 13. I'm going to skip a few verses here. Mark chapter 13 and in verse... Uh, 28, 
37 through 37. Learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So just like, you know, things changing in the season, we know what season's uh, coming about because all we got to do is look at the signs that present themselves. Verse 29, so you in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Truly I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these th things be, uh, be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So we have this definite uh, word of God, this command, just as he uh, used his word to command that the earth and, and the waters uh, become a part of the flood and also a part of the creation of, of the land. Yet of that day and that hour knows no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And this verse, verse 33, take you heed and watch and pray, for you don't know when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. From the time that Christ uh, was resurrected to this time today was a very long time ago who left his house and gave authority to his servants. You know, remember he said uh, to preach, to baptize in his name and in the Father's name and in the, uh, by the authority of the Holy Spirit. And to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So watch ye therefore, for you don't know when the master of the house comes at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all to watch. We know that it is Satan that deceives the whole world and he would rather uh, have us put on the manner of the world, the manner of men, the carnal manner of men. But we are to put on the armor of God. In Matthew chapter 6 it says to lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where, and where thieves do not break in to steal. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. And what this does is, is it indicates a devotion to one purpose, and that is uh, heavenly treasures. But if your eye be evil, the whole body shall be uh, full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? It's deceptive, you know. So no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Look at the fall of the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your Father, Heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not bet much better than they? On down to verse uh, 31. Therefore take no thought 
saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we, shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. So when there is a shortage or when these things don't look promising in our life, when they may not have food or, or clothing, coats and things to wear, at that time God will know what uh, we need. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Now what is that treasure that we are to store upon? You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So one, we should seek to follow Christ. And we do that through the pages of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In 2 Timothy, we read where uh, it says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we see study is the way we store those treasures in heaven. In 2 Timothy 3, but continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them. That from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So as we study the Bible, knowing the source uh, uh, of what we're looking at, we will be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And that will amount to that treasure that we store in heaven. You know, some have read the Bible through at least once, some more than once. So the word of God is our treasure, and we need to get to know it. And not only that, but we also need to apply what we learn. James chapter 1. Verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. <coughs> of his own will beget he us with the word of truth. That's how we were uh, begat, with the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a, in a glass or in a mirror. For he beholds himself, then goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Let's go on down to uh, Matthew 13. Just a few more scriptures here in conclusion. You know, we need to pray not, and watch and pray, as it says. Not only watch ourselves, but also watch ourselves unto prayer so that uh, Satan we know Satan has devices and we're not ignorant of his devices but if we forget to pray we leave ourselves open or exposed to his uh, deception in Matthew 13 again the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price 
went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Which brings us back to Luke 12, where, where we uh, looked at a while ago, where he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not, where no thief approaches, neither moths corrupt. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we need to be that manner of person that, is, that has paid for that goodly pearl that recognized it a long time ago and is storing up treasure in heaven. So what manner of person ought we to be? We have to go to the word of God to, to see what that is. And it's just more than one sermon can give. But anyway, that is it. I saw a, uh, I, I thought this was uh, when we were in the meeting room there. I saw this notebook in there that somebody had written. And uh, it said, uh, a yawn, let me see if I remember. A yawn is like a silent scream for coffee. 